You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Talking Time Lords podcast. This is episode number seven. The Chase Story Review. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my companion in this great podcasting adventure, we have Paul Gann. Affirmative. <laughs> What's up, man? Oh, we're doing good. <laughs> doing good. Talking Doctor Who again. Talking Time Lords. <laughs> uh, you made that joke last episode, so I figured it would be at least corny enough for me to make it this time. Um, if it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode is uh, we're going to pick up where we left off in our previous episode and continue on with the next story review uh, involving the Daleks. This being the chase. Uh, this is your spoiler warning, folks, uh, because since this episode is about fifty years old, you've had enough time to stop. <laughs> we're, we're just going to spoil the heck out of it. Um, we really need to get some kind of wonky sound effect for the spoiler thing. You know? We need to get River Song. Spoilers. There you go. <laughs> I'm, a little too, I'm a little too good at that. Um, <laughs> uh, but before we jump into the review itself, we do want to let you know that since um, we lost Susan in our last episode, uh, the TARDIS has acquired a new young female companion in the guise of Vicky. Uh, from the future. Yes. From the 25th century, uh, from Earth's 25th <laughs> century, she was actually shipwrecked on the planet Dido, uh, and the Doctor, Ian, and Barbara ended up rescuing her, uh, and she joined the, the TARDIS crew then. They've had a couple of adventures since they uh, rescued her before we get to the chase, uh, but I think the important details about her character, uh, other than the fact that she's from the future and is very scientifically uh, knowledgeable. (laughs) Need to get my words better sometimes. Uh, (laughs) And the fact that she's very scientifically knowledgeable about, you know, alien things and spaceships and that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) Stuff it! (laughs) (laughs) I'm making faces at him. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Any other important character uh, characteristics of Vicky, I think we'll be able to pick up throughout our 
review here. Did you want to say anything about Vicky before we jumped into the episode? I think we can do it all in the story. Cool. All right. Well, uh, as per usual, I will be reading a brief synopsis uh, before we jump into the plot itself. I am using one I wrote myself because the one on the TARDIS wiki was too long and uh, basically said everything. So I wrote one myself that's like the back of a DVD cover or something. So let's (laughs) do that. The Doctor and the crew of the TARDIS land on the sunny desert world of Iridius. While taking a much-needed rest, they discover a Dalek death squad is hunting them. A chase begins through time and space while the Doctor looks for a suitable place to make their stand. Will they succeed? And how will the robotic mechanoids tip the scales? Dum dum dum. All right. But yes, the the previous adventure ended uh, with the Doctor and the TARDIS crew leaving a space museum. Uh, and they have taken a piece of equipment with them. It is a time-space visualizer, which the Doctor basically refers to as a time television. Uh, any Anything that has happened in the past is recorded in light, and they can access it through this machine and see any event in history. And so this is a really cool thing. Uh, Ian decides to see President Lincoln uh, read the Gettysburg's the Gettysburg Address. Barbara wants to see Queen Elizabeth's court and sees... Uh, a conversation between the Queen and Shakespeare, where he gets the idea for the Merry Wives of Windsor and Hamlet. And Vicky, of all people, wants to see the Beatles, because she's been to their memorial theater in Liverpool. Although she's very surprised to find out that the Beatles play classical music, (laughs) which completely flabbergasts Ian and, and Barbara, because the Beatles start playing Ticket to Ride, and... Uh, Ian's jamming out to it. Which is one of my favorite Beatles songs, by the way. Very nice. (laughs) Very nice. Uh, Fun fact about this Beatles clip is that the the performance that they did was a BBC performance, which is why Doctor Who was able to use it. But the the tapes from that performance got junked with, you know, a lot of the different Doctor Who episodes that got junked uh, later on. and so that, the only video from that performance that still remains is the brief clips from this episode of Doctor Who. Which is freaking cool. It is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of the space-time visualizer? Did you like it? And, uh, yeah, did you like it? I, th- I thought it added a, a whole neat little twist to the episode. I thought that it was uh, it was really cool. To be able to see uh, things throughout history uh, that people uh, would be able to to relate to. And I thought it was really cool that they used actual footage of the actual Beatle concert, you know, in the the clip. And uh, as opposed to having, you know, stand-ins or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And and another thing that I think is cool about that is the fact that uh, this... I think bringing in Vicky and also uh, having like the clip of the Beatles and things like that shows that this is when Doctor Who began to go a little bit more mainstream, uh, go, go a little bit edgier, a little bit more um, contemporary. 
mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to some of the previous episodes. Yeah, definitely. Um, but they're they're distracted from their their trip down memory lane, so to speak, when the TARDIS uh, starts to materialize. So they all rush off to the control room and forget to turn the machine off. And we, the audience, none of the crew see this, but we, the audience, learn that the Daleks uh, are hunting the Doctor and the crew of the TARDIS and are sending an assassination squad after them in a time machine that is eerily similar in design and uh, bigger on the inside abilities to the TARDIS. Yeah. yeah. Pretty sure they stole some Gallifreyan technology for that. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, one of the reasons that they state that they're chasing down the Doctor is for uh, disrupting their invasion of Earth. And, and uh, I think one of the things that's interesting to note about this is even though they did... Uh, realized that it was the doctor that did this uh, prior to this in any of the storylines or anything they have never ever mentioned the doctor by name they have never mentioned the TARDIS by name um, they have never indicated that they knew it was a time machine up to this point uh, so the indication is that this is probably very much told out of order that this is probably on the Daleks timeline something that happens way further down the road when they've uh, discovered who the Doctor is, what the TARDIS is, you know, the uh, invention of the the uh, the Dalek time machine, uh, like we said before, if if it was something that they got from studying Gallifreyan technology or whatever, they would not have even known that the TARDIS was from Gallifrey uh, in the previous storyline that we uh, talked about. So this tells me that the Daleks are coming from the future, or the Doctor's future, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, he seems really surprised that they even know who he is or, or what his ship is at this point. Right. Right. Well, meanwhile, the Doctor and the TARDIS crew land on the very hot, sunny desert planet of Iridius, a.k.a. Tatooine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, For those who haven't seen this episode, uh, the planet Iridius is a desert planet with lots of sand dunes and two suns. Two suns. (laughs) Apparently, George Lucas has watched Doctor Who before. Um, Flattery is the best form, or imitation is the best form of flattery, they say. Yes, Um, there you go. And, and, and Whatever Lucas, works, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because this is definitely, definitely before uh, George Lucas made Star Wars. I should More say... More than 10 years. Yeah. I should say that when this uh, ep- these episodes were, were played, um, I meant to do that earlier, but I forgot. Uh, this is uh, a six-episode story arc, and it aired... From the 22nd of May to the 26th of June in weekly episodes uh, in 1965. So, still 12 years before the release of Star Wars. Um, Exactly. 
Uh, but yes, they had two sons first. Um, <laughs> the Doctor and Barbara decide that they want to take a rest, while Ian and Vicky decide to go exploring. Uh, Vicky wants to see what's on the other side of the dune, because who knows? It could be a city, or a spaceport, or something interesting. And, you know, so she, and she you can tell by her attitude that she is definitely not from the same time as Ian and Barbara. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but she really wants to go off and explore. So Ian goes with her and the doctor and Barbara are relaxing there. They're sunbathing, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, did you notice the doctor's hat? I did notice the doctor's hat. Uh, <laughs> It, it looks a bit like, and you brought this up uh, yes. in a in a message to me while you were watching it. Uh, it looks <laughs> a bit like the fifth Doctor's hat. It does, uh, although there's only so much you can do with a Panama hat. So uh, <laughs> apparently, the Doctor has an affinity for Panama hats. It's um, probably the same hat. He just, you know, decided not to use it very often. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Sorry, that's a reference back to the 50th anniversary. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the Doctor and Barbara are out enjoying the sun when the wine of the time-space visualizer disrupts their glorious time sunbathing. Um, <laughs> and the Doctor's singing... <laughs> Yes, the doctors and, and Barbara says, "What is that horrible noise?" And the doctor says, "I beg your pardon. How dare you talk that way about my singing?" <laughs> no, 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 that horrible, not that horrible noise. The other one. <laughs> that was hilarious. It's great. Um, he so, says, "I could charm the birds from the trees." <laughs> yes. Yes, but Barbara goes inside to, to turn off the machine, and. Uh, that's when she sees uh, the the Dalek assassination squad uh, loading up and heading out. And so she calls in the doctor. They find out what's going on. And the doctor says, my machine can only view things from the past. So that means they're either on their way or they're here. So they rush out to go find Ian and Vicky, who have gotten themselves quite far from the TARDIS by this point. Because, you know, initially it was, let's go see what's on the other side of the sand dune. Which became the next sand dune. And the one over there. <laughs> and so on. Um, <laughs> Ian and Vicky have, meanwhile, found an old abandoned hatch in the middle of the sand that leads into these passages underground. And so, of course, what do they do? They go exploring. Um <laughs> Or rather, Vicky does. Yes, Vicky does. Vicky's like, let's go, let's go. And, you know, of course, Ian has to tag along. So they end up getting trapped when a semi-intelligent Meyer Beast, which is basically a giant land octopus thing. Yeah, those are creepy. Creepy, kind of weird. Um, not entirely sure it works as a monster. Um mm -hmm. Some shots it works, but others not so much. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> yes, but uh, it 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 closes the hatch back up and uh, comes after them. So they have to, you know, flee through the tunnels. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Barbara have to spend the night sheltering in a sandstorm. So, of course, the 
dawn breaks because the twin suns move very fast and the days are very short. Days and nights are very short on Iridius. Uh, but dawn breaks, and as the doctor and Barbara are digging themselves out of the sand, something else is digging itself out of the sand. A Dalek. Dum, dum, dum. And in one of the <laughs> weirdest, weirdest things ever for a Dalek. Yeah. He's pushing himself out of the sand, going, Yeah, that didn't, that just was weird. <laughs> that didn't quite work. Yeah, th- this is, <laughs> next time, the Dalek should just be quiet. <laughs> or be blasting well, his I mean, it's, the it's the suit that's doing all the work, not the actual Dalek. So I didn't really understand why there was that grunting and, you know... Because the suit was the what was doing the actual work to get out of the sand. Right. <laughs> so it was... That was a little interesting. Now, one of the things that I noticed was that uh, in certain places, they they gave a little bit of, of uh, the production value up for the sake of storytelling. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is there's... Apparently, this was filmed fast uh, from the look of it because there are clearly some things in there that they just said well that's good enough let's just move on you know uh, and and I normally wouldn't point those things out except for it's to me it's more obvious in this story arc than it was any of the story arcs that we've covered before yeah like for example uh, when we shift from an outside shot to a shot that's supposed to be an outside shot that's shot on a stage. Mm-hmm. There's there's a time there's a spot in there where you can clearly see. And you wouldn't be able to tell that this is a painted backdrop in the desert, except for the fact that they cast shadows on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was just something that wasn't paid attention to. You know, during filming that attention to detail just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, It's also one of those things where probably, in some cases, uh, they just ran out of money because we'll see a lot later uh, in the story arc where all the money went. Um, (laughs) The money money definitely went into creating the mechanoids, and they had about three or four of them that they made. Uh, plus additional Daleks. There was quite a few Daleks that were um, in this storyline, I think. Well, so, not only that, you also have to think about the fact that they had to pay for film because this stuff was still shot on film at the time. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, I'm sure that there were times when they really wanted to go back and do a retake on something, but they said, you know what, it's already costing us too much, let's just move on and, and shoot something else. Right. But, uh, yeah... That's that's one of the things that I noticed uh, in the desert scene. There was that there's a, a, a shot or two where they actually cast shadows across the backdrop, and really all that would have been, you know, involved in that would just be to reposition the lighting so that that doesn't happen. But it just that was something that was just left to, you know, be found by somebody in the future. <laughs> you know, right? And of course. Um... TV audiences today are much more savvy about that sort of thing than they were back in 1963. Uh, 
seeing how this is a very, you know, sci-fi, alien worlds, that sort of thing, right. people were probably too much caught up. You know, I, I could be wrong. Maybe some people noticed and were, you know, a little perturbed by it. But most people probably too much uh, wrapped up in the storyline and the different locales and the alien aspects of all of this. Uh, right. To really either notice or care about those things. Whereas today... TV audiences have been trained to watch out for those things and be aware of the realism in in these sort of things. So well, uh, I noticed too that there in, there also seems to be a lot uh, larger usage of uh, miniatures and stuff mm-hmm. uh, in this, which in a lot of cases to me added more realism to it. But then in a couple of cases, you could tell, well, that's a miniature, you know, um, like like the Dalek pushing itself out of the sand. Yes, I, I could tell that that was a, a miniature. Just because of the the way that the sand fell off of it and everything, this in 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 the texture of the sand was a lot more. I mean, if you're going to do a miniature like that, you need to use the finest sand that you can find to get that illusion of this being something bigger. And uh, it was very clear that that the they sand, just, they the scale the sand of the sand the was yeah, the scale of the sand was not you know equal to the scale of the the Dalek. Right. No. It was basically they stole some extra sand from the set and 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 used it for the miniature. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I did notice some of the hills were basically like sandbags and pallets uh, that were covered in sand. Um, in some of the these desert shots, um, I didn't go that far, but you know, it was. I don't know. <laughs> it was just one of those things that you know, sandbags and pallets covered in like you know, cloth or something mm-hmm. that they layered sand over the top of there's a couple of times uh when you could hear them uh stepping on on the pallet rather than like the 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 sandbags yeah and then of course when they're going down into the hatchways it you almost get to see the cross section of what's underneath sometimes (laughs) (laughs) but well they did the best with what they had i mean i'm not i'm not complaining about it i'm just pointing it out that you know, anybody that watches this is going to be able to notice certain things like that and just take it in stride and just enjoy it for what it is. Right. You know, <clears throat> right. It, And that's one of the things that, you know, we as uh, Doctor Who fans uh, just have to know going into these things is that there are going to be, you know, very plainly their sets. Uh, some of the effects are going to be very uh, basic uh, mm-hmm. And that sort of thing, uh, but that gets better as the show goes on. See, they didn't even have the ability to make the lasers for the Daleks at this point. They, nope. they, the lasers were actually intended to be invisible. Uh, they they used, I think, air cannons or something uh, to uh, simulate the firing of the lasers. And then they just flip the the film uh, color to a negative, basically, right. uh, whenever somebody got hit. So. And I don't think that even changed up until the new series. I think that they they kept that the negative effect all the way up through the entire original series. Did they not? Um, it changes a little bit, although the the negative kind of morphs into an X ray sort of effect that we get. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember where it stops being like a full, like the full frame is changed into like the negative to where it becomes just the person 
Right. And I think that's the third Doctor, although I haven't seen any of the second Doctor Dalek episodes. So when we get there, I'm going to be very excited because it's the first time I've seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the they go from it being like the full everything gets you know flipped negative mm-hmm. um, to just the person to, to just the person about the third Doctor. When, basically, when they when they go to color. Um, yeah, I know. I know. In the the new series, uh, they tried to keep the effect very similar to the original series, uh, just because of the fact that it was so uh, recognizable, you know. But they, they, I think they enhanced the skeletal features of it in that. Oh yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's get back to this. Um, so Ian and Vicky are running around underground. The hatch that they're supposed to that they went in is supposed to get blown up by the Iridians because they're sealing off the Meyer beasts from getting inside their their underground city. Um, the Doctor and Barbara are found by a couple of Iridians who promise to try and help them, and they head towards the city to see if he, uh, Ian and Vicky are there. Uh, the hatch gets blown up. And uh, Ian gets knocked out by a rock. So Vicky is left wandering the the catacombs, the underground catacombs, looking for help by herself. Ian um, gets knocked out a lot, doesn't he? Well, <laughs> he's he's the, the, the muscle of the group, basically. So he's able to take those kinds of hits. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, especially back in the 60s, constantly knocking out someone like Barbara would have been... Uh, uncomfortable and not well, quite right. If he's not knocked out, then he's locked up someplace where he can't get to anybody, or he's immobilized in some way. Um, you know, it's like we have to take Ian out every single time so that we can put somebody else in peril. Right. You know, um, which I know it's formulaic and everything, but I think it's kind of funny too. You know, kind of fun to watch. Well, when is Ian going to get taken out this time? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, he is the the guy who can <laughs> physically take on the challenges better than any of the rest of them. So, um, you know, they have to take him out in order to make it dangerous for everybody else. But the Daleks are on Iridius, and they have uh, the ability to, to track down where the TARDIS is. They locate where it's buried in the sand and enslave some Iridians to dig it out. Um who they then promptly kill when it, when the job is done, because, you know, the Daleks are nice like that. And for um, those that aren't aware of uh, what these guys look like, they actually look like a cross between uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon <laughs> with sort of like the face of the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, they're a bit um, fishy. Without, without the pipe nose, you know. Right. Uh, they're very fish-like. Yeah. Because the planet used to be a great ocean, but the suns uh, kept rotating closer and closer to the planet, so all the waters dried up. Which I thought was really neat, that the, the fact that they took this desert planet and they put all of the life on this planet is, like, aquatic-type life. <laughs> you know, I think that that is... Most people wouldn't have thought to do that. Most people would have said, okay, it's a desert planet, we've got to put desert dwellers on it, and, you know, but the, no, not Doctor and, Who. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who's like, hmm, how can we turn this on its ear? Hmm, let's put fish people. You yes. know? <laughs> yes. I love uh, that. 
The uh, interesting things about the Daleks is that they try to destroy the TARDIS right away, but their their guns have no effect on it, which is one of the first times that we see uh, just how powerful and how strong the TARDIS actually is. Um, well, there's a possibility that he could have left the force field on, too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, we Probably. See that, we see that with the, with uh, Eccleston's doctor. Right. Right, we'll talk about but, that later. Oh yes, um, <laughs> but uh, so the Daleks leave some uh, a guard on the TARDIS, and the rest of them start heading out to find the TARDIS crew. The Doctor and Barbara have been brought back to the city. They think that Ian and Vicky have been blown up, um, and so they're they've been offered food and rest. And then the Iridians say, um, by the way, the doctors have issued us an off the do- the doctors, the Daleks <laughs> have issued us an ultimatum and we're supposed to turn you over to them. FYI. Just so you know. Of course the Dalek <laughs> the Dalek. The doctor <laughs> ah, I really am not trying to be funny here, folks. Um but the you doctor are. <laughs> The Doctor, of course, is not pleased. Um, Ian and Barbara, or Ian and Barbara, the Doctor and Barbara are only saved because uh, Vicky shows up and sort of disrupts the proceedings, and then a Meyer Beast breaks through a wall and starts causing right. havoc. This is where I have to interject. Okay. <laughs> because I understand the purpose for this happening. I don't I don't like the execution of how this went down at all. You know, <laughs> this thing could have just come through the wall, big surprise, and just you know, gone in and attacked. But for some reason, they felt the need to have Barbara, for no reason whatsoever, go you know halfway across the room and back into this wall where these things are coming through, just so they could come in on top of her. You know. <laughs> And, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, but she wasn't anywhere close to that. How, what, what, you know? Right. <laughs> I, I watched that scene and it struck me that, um, it was one of those instances where the actress was late on her blocking. Um, with, you know, they probably had it blocked out. So she ended up over by the wall sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the breakneck speed that they filmed these things at and the to use it. relatively few number of takes that they were ever able to get out of these, um, and they just ended up using that one. Um, so it, it just struck me as odd. It, it just was, felt really weird. It was a little weird. Um, but it breaks through. Mayhem is created. It eats one of the Iridians. Which and... is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I get, you know, tickled by things like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This giant octopus just grabs him and just sort of like wiggles itself on top of the Iridian <laughs> and, you know, making kind of like that those noises, too. Um, <laughs> nom, but, uh, nom, 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 nom. The rest of them go and they find Ian and... While Vicky has been lost in the, uh, the catacombs, she has d- discovered another hatch that comes up right near the TARDIS. And so they all go there. 
they distract uh, the Daleks on guard uh, and trick one of them into coming up the sand dune onto a little trap that they've laid so it goes on the trap and then falls down into the to the catacombs, which was a little <laughs> odd the way that was executed. Barbara got a little bit aggravated at Ian because this is the second time that he has taken her sweater and used it to create a trap. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> And she didn't get it back, as far as yeah. I know. Um, the doctor got his coat back, but she didn't get the sweater back. Um. <laughs> because I thought that was interesting. She goes, not again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, I don't recall which which storyline that was where I think it was the one previous prior to this one uh, with the Daleks uh, no, the Dalek no, no 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 the one immediately prior to this oh one. okay oh uh, in the uh, was it Which... the museum oh that's right yeah yeah the space museum is that yeah. what that one's called I seem to recall him doing something maybe it was there he took uh, he took her sweater I can't remember what for but he took her sweater and she she didn't get it back you know <laughs> He may have used it to like cover his mouth and nose while the museum was on fire or something. Um, I don't recall. But anyways, enough about Barbara's sweater. Um, <laughs> they're able to, to trick the Dalek and rush into the TARDIS just before the Dalek reinforcements arrive and take off. Uh, they think they're home free and then they find out that the Daleks are on their trail. They found a way to track to track them. Yes, um, which the doctor indicated that uh, he he didn't have that uh, ability at this point to be able to track another machine. Uh, so he he indicated that they had uh, more advanced technology than he did at this point. Yeah, of course or it could least... be because of, it could be because the TARDIS is broken at this point too. It also could be because the Dalek doesn't the Dalek. <sighs> The doctor. Dr. Dalek. <laughs> now that's a weird idea. Yeah. Um, it could also be because the doctor uh, doesn't really know what he's doing with the TARDIS yet. It, it's it's hinted at a couple of times, and not so much in some of these episodes, but it's hinted at a couple of times that the doctor is only very, very sparsely familiar with how the TARDIS actually works. Well, he stole uh, it. He stole it, right. And so, but he had no idea what he was doing with it, and so that's why he's stuck, and he can't go back, and he's you know, going to random places and times. Um, he also stole it from a repair bay. Yes. So, he had no idea what was wrong with it when he stole it in the first place. Right. So now he's trying to fix it as he goes. <laughs> And learn how it works at the same time. So um, he probably does have the ability to track other ships through you know, through the time corridors, but has no idea how to do that. Or it doesn't um, work. Right. But anyway, so what happens next is really interesting. The TARDIS followed by the Dalek time machine stop off at different points in time and space as they try to as the TARDIS tries to lose the Daleks and the Daleks are still behind them um, 
And the first place they stop is the Empire State Building in 1966. Uh, the very top of the Empire State Building, where where they meet a, a rather um, exaggerated, <laughs> exaggerated Alabama hick. Um, <laughs> this is obviously what... I the, take offense at that, sir. Well, <laughs> the, the Brits obviously think the South is very, uh, you know, like this. <laughs> Golly! You know. It's very reminiscent of the original Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh yes, they they run into to this Alabama tourist. He thinks that they're from Hollywood uh, because yeah. there's four people that were able to come out of this tiny little box, and he thinks they're making a movie. He's trying to find out what it's all about. Meanwhile, they're trying to figure out how far ahead of the Daleks are they, and how you know, and are they able to escape? Uh, they quickly get back on the TARDIS and take off because the Empire State Building is no place to fight the Daleks because many people will get hurt. And this um, is actually a very hilarious, very hilarious scene. Yeah. Uh, yes. I love it. He, uh, the, the Alabama tourist, then uh, greets the Daleks in much the same fashion. He thinks they are also part of the movie. Uh, the Daleks seem very perplexed as to what <laughs> he is and what he's doing. Which um, I thought it was kind of funny that they didn't just shoot him and kill him and be done with him, you know? Right. But they uh, needed the information as to where everybody else was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he grab one of the Daleks' guns and talk right into it? He, or thinks, was it it's, a plunger? he thinks it's a microphone. Yes. He takes one of the Daleks' guns and talks right into it. Yeah. They just left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he thinks it's a microphone. And the Daleks, they don't know what to, to make of him because they've never seen anybody that behaves this way. Right. <laughs> um, and I think it's really funny. You know, he turns around. He's like, let me get my camera. I got to get this on celluloid, you know, and nobody will believe this back home. And he turns around and their time machine is gone. Yeah. And then he walks over and he starts trying to find the trap door to see yep. where this thing went. And he's crawling around on his hands and knees and everybody thinks he's lost his mind when they come back around the corner. Yep. <laughs> The, the tour guide comes back around the corner with everybody else, and they think he's lost his mind. And so he goes to find a cop. He says, stay here with him. I'm going to get a cop. <laughs> Make sure he doesn't jump over the, you know. Um, <laughs> so. Oh, I also thought it was interesting the way that they portrayed the uh, the New York uh, tour guide uh, for the, you know. Horrible acting on the accent there for the tour guide. It wasn't yeah. very good. It's seven minutes to get from the ground up to here and only 30 seconds if you go that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Apparently, the Brits didn't think very highly of, of Americans back in the 60s. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, we're, we're, well, we're, we're okay. We're cool. They're hoity hoity snobs. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. I'm actually half, my heritage is, is half British. So, anyways. I have Scottish, so, you know. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, they head out, and the next place they land is on board a ship, a sailing ship uh, in the 1800s. Uh, 
the doctor doesn't want to stay, but he has to get the TARDIS all fixed and set back up so it can take off again. So Barbara and Vicky go out to explore. Barbara loves sailing ships, so she's out on the deck enjoying the breeze. And the is mistaken by the first mate yes. as a stowaway. Yeah. Um, Vicky comes to the rescue by knocking him out. Although she hits Ian in the process. <laughs> well, Ian, Ian goes Ian goes back out to get them, and, and she thinks it's another sailor and knocks him out too. Um, That's the second time Ian's been knocked out in this story. <laughs> yes, although this one was for comedic effect. Um, but uh, so the whole crew is you know alarmed that they're stowaways and they've escaped uh, because Barbara and Vicky take Ian back onto the. TARDIS and it disappears before they can find, the crew can find them. Uh, The Daleks land on the ship and everybody freaks out. Uh, It's the the terror of Barbary. Run, scream and everybody jumps overboard. Everybody jumps overboard. Everybody jumps overboard. Including the captain. And a Dalek. That was an accident, though. And it was was really, really funny. (laughs) Because he bumps into the railing, the railing gives way, and he just goes right off the side of the ship. And you hear him, (laughs) And boy, that water smacks hard when he landed. Mm -hmm. It just sort of like smash. Oh, but but yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this the second time... That a Dalek had fallen and the top half had broken off from the bottom half? Mm, I think so. Probably. That's probably happened in a previous episode. Which which was would indicate, you know, he hit with enough force to break the, the tank armor in half. He's going out into the water. You know, he, he's not protected anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Drowned Dalek. Oh, well. Oh, well. Um... <laughs> I wonder what salt does to a Dalek. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> are they like slugs? <laughs> they are pepper pots, so, mm. you know, what happens when you mix the salt <laughs> with the pepper pot? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Daleks leave, and we find out that the ship is the Mary Celeste. Yeah, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, For those of you who have no idea what this is, the Mary Celeste is an actual ship that was found floating off the coast, uh, I forget where, um, completely abandoned. The lifeboat was, I think the lifeboat was missing, but it was still, you know, the sails were still done, there was no signs of a struggle, there was nothing in the log. Everything on the ship looked like it was in the process of being used at the time. Mm-hmm. There was nobody on board. But there was nobody on board. And so, and that mystery has never been solved. And the crew has never been found of the, of that ship. And that, that is actual real history. Um, and now we have an instance where, uh, the doctor has been involved in actual historical events. It's all been explained. We know what happened now. Yes, the Daleks landed on on the Mary Celeste and everybody abandoned ship um, <laughs> in a hurry. But yeah, that was that was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. The next place that they land 
is this dark, abandoned mansion. Gothic mansion. Yeah. And this is one of the places where I said, dude, these effects are like really subpar until I realized what was actually going on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because they're, the, the TARDIS crew is disembarked and they're looking around because this might be a good place to face the Daleks because every time they stop somewhere, the Daleks have been gaining ground. Uh, the, the time difference between mm-hmm. the two time machines has kept shrinking. So they're, they're looking around and they run into, you know, there's, there's bats in the rafters and there's ghosts up the stairs and the doctor and Ian find Frankenstein in the basement and Barbara and Vicky <laughs> find Dracula in the corridor. Uh, <laughs> And everybody's, you know, hair is on end, basically, and, you know, they don't know what's going on, and it's really kind of freaky. The Doctor has quickly deduced, of course, that they are not actually in any real place. They have uh, stumbled into the uh, the thoughts of the human mind, or the human dream, or something right. like that. He, he said that this was so... Uh, prevalently thought of that it had become a material place. Yes, they had, they reside in the the human psyche the, of nightmares, basically. Right. Um, which isn't true because the Daleks show up, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the TARDIS crew is trying to escape because they aren't ready to do anything with the Daleks, and these things start to attack the Daleks. Frankenstein completely obliterates a Dalek that was insisting that they were invincible. Um, and most they, of the... They turn to try to fire at Dracula, but it has no effect. It, right. It just basically is if he's not even there. Right. The, uh, the TARDIS crew... Basically, all of them escape um, in the TARDIS. Well, except Vicky. Except Vicky. <laughs> the TARDIS takes off, and she's still in the main hall of this house. She got and, cut off by a Dalek or something. Yes, she got cut off on the do- by a Dalek on the way back to the TARDIS. Um, Dalek was promptly dealt with by one of these these terrors. She ends up slipping aboard the Dalek time machine and hiding there. Uh, and the course, Daleks escape. The, the big reveal then at the end of this uh, is that this entire time they have been inside of a uh, abandoned a theme park haunted house. Yes, an abandoned haunted house, and all the the, the different machinery and everything is still running. Which means that Frankenstein and Dracula were both robotic, and. And, and the the thing that I thought was was uh, neat is uh, how they explained away some of the cheesy effects by doing it that way. Because when some of the bats fly down from the ceiling and everything, you can literally see the black cords that are holding them, yep. like get hung on the side of the stairs and stuff, you know. And yeah, uh, so I was looking at that and I was going. I know they didn't just leave that in there. I know, but then it makes sense when you find out exactly why they were there and what it was. Right. (laughs) Um, But 
the TARDIS is off. Uh, they're very flustered that, that they've lost Vicky, uh, and the Doctor doesn't know how to go back for her. Uh, so because he he's decide- not had time to fix the TARDIS because of right. everything that's been going on. Right. So they decide to their next destination. They will land. They will take on the Daleks and try and use the Daleks' time machine to go back and get Vicky. Um, that's their plan. See, the thing to, to to remember about all of this is the reason why the Doctor was on Earth with uh, Susan in the first place is because he was fixing what was broken on the TARDIS to try to make sure everything was operational. And then Ian and Barbara interrupted everything. Yes. And everything went to chaos at that point. Yes. So (laughs) yeah, that's, that's part of what the problem is. Um, (laughs) The other part is the doctor needs some fixing too. No. Um, (laughs) I beg your pardon, my boy. (laughs) I beg your pardon. Yes. See, Roughly grabs his lapels. <laughs> anyway, um. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> you, you know that, that finger. Yeah, that I finger, love that. <laughs> he's got one of the scary fingers. Um, but they <clears throat> they land on this dark, jungly world called Mechanus, and they go exploring. As the Daleks are on their way to Mechanus, they're, they're approaching it. Vicky overhears and sees that the Daleks are creating a robot identical to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And when the Daleks ask this <clears throat> robot identical to the Doctor what his mission is, he responds that his mission is to infiltrate and kill. And that's the end of that episode. Um, you also have to think about this, too. The the Daleks know the name of this planet prior to arriving there. The Doctor and his companions have no idea where they are. Right. Uh, so They probably just have better records, you know, space-time records. The, the Daleks have, uh, have knowledge of all these different places and stuff that the doctor doesn't have records for and stuff at this point. Right. So they're already at an advantage. Yeah. But the, the doctor, Ian and Barbara are exploring Mechanus. They are trying to make their way through the jungle, which is full of what they call fungoids, which are basically small tree, like fungus, creatures. They're like giant mushrooms that eat people. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. Which Um, is really weird. (laughs) Yes. Um, But at the last minute before they're about to be cornered by these fungoids, a series of lights gets flicked on in the middle of the the nighttime jungle. Um, above them, and they can't see because it's dark around them, uh, and looking up at the lights, they can't see where the light's coming from, but there's a path. A path that's been marked out by light, and the fungoids don't want to go in the light. So, the Doctor, Ian and Barbara, follow the pathway, where it ends at a cave. Um, the Doctor has is coming up and creating a device that he says should help to uh, should help them destroy the Daleks, 
but he needs the space to do it, to work on it, and to set it off. Some type of incendiary bomb, right? Something like that. But they're able to use this cave as a place to, to set up and keep working on the bomb and maybe even lure the Daleks in. The Daleks land, they send out their robot doctor, who's play, actually played by uh, William Hartnell's uh, stand-in double. Um, so uh, he already, th- this actor already had a, a role with the show and so they've added a little bit of makeup to help him look a little bit more like William Hartnell. But for the close-ups, they actually use um, Hartnell himself right. uh, for this robot. I um, did notice that from the faraway shots and stuff, though, you could tell a slight difference in the way that he walked and stuff. Um, right. He he walked like a younger man, <clears throat> which I you know was fitting for the fact that it was a robot. But right. But Vicky is also crept out of the the Daleks time machine unseen uh, of course she runs into the fungoids uh, <laughs> which is not a good thing <laughs> yes and her scream brings the doctor and Ian running out of the the cave to go find her <clears throat> Barbara stays in the cave uh, to help to guard the the bomb and to keep a watch there. And that's when the robot doctor finds her. And he he needs her to come out and help him in the jungle because Ian has been killed, is what he yeah. he tells her. Um, so with that sort of answer, uh, she quickly follows the doctor. He really just wants her to help him find the other three. Right. Ian runs into Barbara first or not Barbara, excuse me, uh, Vicky first. And as she's uh, telling him what's been going on, the doctor shows up and she freaks out because she thinks <laughs> it's the robot doctor. Right. They quickly head back to the cave to try and find Barbara before the robot doctor gets there, but they find her in the jungle. Uh, the doctor gets separated while Vicky and Ian are running ahead. And then, so the, Ian, Barbara, and Vicky are there in the clearing. One doctor comes in the clearing from one side. The other doctor comes in the clearing from the other side at exactly the same time, and they don't know which one is real. And uh, I will point this out at this point, too. Uh, This is where there's a shift uh, in the dynamic of the show uh, to have Hartnell take more of a prominent leading man role Mm -hmm. um, is in this... this, uh, story arc uh, because they this is actually the first time that you see him doing anything of a physical heroic nature yeah. he well he's he's used his stick to beat up a couple of things before but nothing but he actually uh, has a, a bit of a duel in this yes Ian is you know trying to figure out which doctor is real neither of the doctors are willing to admit anything uh, because why should I prove myself to you? You know, that sort of thing. You should right. know who I am. So Ian and one of the doctors are grappling. The other doctor says, use the rock, smash him, you know, smash the robot. Uh, and so 
Ian shoves the doctor he's fighting away, grabs this rock, and lifts it over his head. Meanwhile, the doctor that's next to Vicky says, Come away, Vicky. Or he says, Come away, Susan. You don't want to watch this. He mm-hmm. calls Vicky Susan, which. Because he doesn't know the difference. He doesn't know the difference yet. Um, and so that informs everybody which one is really the robot. And the doctor decides it's he's going to take it on. Um, and they have a little, basically a sword fight with their canes. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the Christmas episode with David Tennant where he first became the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sorry, I just, I relate those kinds of scenes together. Nice. But <laughs> but yes, they have a little bit of a, of a cane duel, and they battle it out. Uh, and they, the interesting way that he does it is he, uh, the, the doctor wins, is he basically gets the, the other, the robot doctor, he's got his stick on the robot doctor's chest, and he orders it to stop. He uses the robot's own programming against it, orders it to stop and then he reaches into the the, the coat pocket and basically pulls out uh, the a control panel or something to something shut the that's ro- wired to the inside yes, to, to shut down the robot and the robot falls to the ground and he just throws the wires and circuitry back on top of it and you know <laughs> he's very indignant about the whole thing <laughs> Um, <laughs> but the Daleks are on their way. Uh, they they know what's going on. We we'll skip ahead just slightly. Uh, the Daleks <laughs> have cornered them back in the cave. Do you know what I thought about when the Doctor was uh, walking away from fighting the robot? What did <clears> you think? I thought of Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> so uncivilized. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it probably uh, probably wouldn't have uh, have been out of the realm of a possibility for the doctor to say that. Well, it was um, a, sim- a similar duel, right? Yes, yes. Um, so we're going to civilized. We'll skip ahead just slightly to when the Daleks have uh, the TARDIS crew cornered in the cave. Suddenly one of the cave walls opens up to reveal a a lift with a giant round robot called a mechanoid inside. Yes. He, he tells them to enter, you know, being in the situation they are, they quickly do. The lift closes up and they go up and up and up. Uh, meanwhile, to a city that is basically up in the trees, up at the top of the trees. It's about 1500 feet in the air. Yes. Um, on these giant pillars, basically. Um, and you could tell that they really went to a lot of trouble to build this city. I mean, it was nice. It was a nice city. The The mechanoid uh, takes them to a a room and promptly locks them in. And they're wondering what's going on. This is weird. Turns out they have... Um, company <laughs> another man is in this room uh, it's a giant room with a, a basically like a big jungle gym treehouse sort of thing built up to the roof 
uh, in the middle of it. And this man named Steven Tyler, who's uh, an explorer, has been kept there. I thought he was a member of Aerosmith, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I had to say it, dude. I'm sorry. (laughs) I hadn't even made that connection before. Uh, (laughs) But but he's there, and... uh, He's been kept in this uh, this room for two years uh, because the mechanoids uh, have basically taken over the city after they were sent by Earth to colonize the planet, but the colonists never showed up. He went to explore this, see what was going on, and the mechanoids captured him. And basically, he and the rest of the TARDIS crew are, are uh, exhibits at a zoo at yeah. this point for the mechanoids. Um, because they're studying them to see what they do. Exactly. It's a it's a nice little oddity for them. While the, the doctor and everybody else tries to figure out a way to escape, um, the Daleks have figured out how to get up to the city <laughs> and are, are preparing for battle with the mechanoids uh, because the mechanoids are supposed to have weapons that may damage them. Now, the interesting thing I thought about was uh, when they went up to the roof to uh, find out how they might be able to escape because they're able to get on the roof, but of course right. the roof is 1,500 feet in the air, so the mechanoids don't really think that they'll be able to escape. Um, there's a, a coil of, of wire up there that they're considering lowering down and climbing down the side of the city. I think it was supposed to be some type of a flexible antenna or something. Yeah. Steven, the the interesting thing is, uh, you know, Steven's been there for two years, and if Ian and the rest of them are just now getting there and just now figure out, you know, how to escape, you know, one makes you think, well, what's Steven been doing there for two years, and why hasn't he tried this before? Well, now, he um, did build but, the framework that got them to the roof in the first place, so that right. had to have taken a little while to build. But the interesting thing was is that the writers had thought about that, and they worked into the story um, why why he hadn't done it before. He hadn't been strong enough to uh, disconnect the end of the, the, the cabling uh, by himself before. And, and even if he had, he had to have a ship to be able to escape in. Right. Right. So, and so, but they, it was really nice, at least for me anyways, that they were able to write in that explanation as to why Stephen hadn't tried to escape before. Um, But the, uh, they're just talking about, well, when did they want to try this? Do they want to wait till night or whatever? When the Daleks attack. Yeah, the Daleks show up. And so they're like, well, we're getting out now then. No better (laughs) time than the present. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and what happens next is a very uh, a very interesting and kind of chaotic scene uh, as the TARDIS crew are, and Steven are making their way down the cable. Uh, Vicky gets, you know, basically a panic attack uh, due to the heights. Um, so they have to figure out how to deal with her. They're trying to help her down. And while this is going on, the doctor has left his uh, incendiary device for the Daleks to find. Mm-hmm. 
and he knows that when they find it that they'll activate it and so this thing goes off the city catches fire and when the city catches fire then Steven suddenly realizes that his only memento that he has left that he brought with him from Earth is still in their holding cell which mm-hmm. is a little stuffed panda Yes, and I don't—I don't know what significance it's supposed to have for him on a sentimental level, uh, but he doesn't want to leave it behind, so he decides he's going to go back after it. Yes, so he gets separated from the rest of the group. Right. Meanwhile, the the Daleks and the Mechanoids have had this bit of a face-off where they're sizing each other up, and then all hell breaks loose. Pretty much, um, yeah. While the Daleks, of course, have their their guns. Uh, the the mechanoids have flamethrowers, and so I would assume the they would have more than just flamethrowers. That was what we got to see, right? But so what happens next is just really chaotic, and really mm-hmm. kind of cool. Uh, it's like the biggest scale battle that we've seen uh, in in this classic Doctor series yet. They further uh, destroy the city and further burn it to the ground just in their fighting. Right, as they destroy each other completely. The Doctor, Vicky, Ian, and Barbara are able to make it down to the ground, and they run off into the jungle back towards the TARDIS to escape the burning city, and they are unsure of what happens to Stephen. Uh, We later see Stephen um, wandering the jungle, uh, singed, um, but otherwise unhurt. Trying to avoid the man-eating mushrooms. Yes, and searching for the Doctor. Um, But that was the last that we saw of him. In this episode, anyways. Now, outside the TARDIS is where the Dalek time machine has landed. And after, you know, congratulating themselves for winning, they go to take a look inside the Dalek time machine uh, just to see, you know, what they can learn. And Ian and Barbara realize that they could go home. They could take the Dalek time machine and go home. Now see, at this point, I was almost expecting for the Doctor to say, you know, I could take parts out of this to replace in the TARDIS, and I can fix the TARDIS using these brand new working parts. But that never even got brought up as a possibility. No. Now, when Ian and Barbara decide that they want to go home, uh, what was your first impression of that? Did you expect that? Did you... Or did you know going in? To, well, to... once once they brought it up that they were going to have that possibility, um, I knew at that point that this would be the last time that we got to see them. Were um, you expecting that though? With this, honestly, story? Uh, I should have been because you know I have seen episode synopsis and things like that. But I've tried to avoid as many spoilers as possible before I watch these episodes, and so. Uh, Any time that I can stay away from that type of thing, I, I prefer to do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've uh, I've been reading up on past episodes and things like that. You know, just to give myself a feel for what it's about. But I really, I, I don't like spoiling it for myself, and and I don't like spoiling it for people that that want to experience it for the first time. Because I know what that feels like to be able to experience it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I intentionally have tried to stay away from those types of spoilers. Uh, but when I, when I heard them talking about it, I knew at that point this will be the last time that we get to see them. Right. And it was very 
very distinct to me that when they brought that up to the doctor, he was immediately hurt by the fact that they wanted to go back home rather than stay with him. Right. Um, right. Um, I, I remember watching these for the first time and when I watched these for the first time, I hadn't really done a lot of reading um, to, to, you know, as background beforehand. And so I didn't know when Ian and Barbara left the TARDIS um, going into my first watch of this episode. And when I watched it for the first time, it caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, this is how they leave. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a little surprising and kind of sad. Um, yeah. Because you're right. You know, they, they go into the into the Dalek time machine and, of course, then they do sort of a time cut and everybody comes storming out. The Daleks, the, the, the doctor is storming out very angry and, you know, frustrated and he's yelling and shouting. He doesn't want to, you know to do this he's very angry because he's he feels like they're insulting his abilities to try and get them home um and he's also says that the time the dalek time machine is very dangerous and there's no guarantee you'll get there safely which really is his way of of trying to hide the fact that he just doesn't want them to leave right right uh and of course some some harsh words are said between he and ian uh, but Barbara is able to sort of smooth it over, and they say we really want to go home. This is going to be the most exciting. She says it'll be the most. This has been the most exciting part of my life. But we have the opportunity to go home now, and we'd really like to take it. Um, he, flaunt the doctor flounces off, uh, very upset, um, and Vicky comes and takes his arm, and says, "Well, you really should help them." And he says, but don't you realize the risks? Yes, I do, but that's their choice. And she's able to talk him into, you know, helping them. Uh, but he, the interesting thing is, uh, with the way that he's hurt about Ian and Barbara wanting to leave, he automatically goes, well, don't you want to go with them? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, aren't you going to leave me too, is basically the question. Right. Um, and... She says, what for? What would I do in 1966 or 1963? Um, You know, so that's not even my time. She says she'll stay with him, which placates the doctor just a little bit. Um, And if you think about it, I mean, he's just technically lost Barbara not long ago. Uh, Susan. I'm sorry, Susan, rather. He's just technically lost Susan not long ago. And even though he made the choice to give her up. That's still got to be weighing on him at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, he, he agrees, and he goes back into the Dalek time machine with Ian and Barbara to help set things up so that they can take it home. Uh, he and Vicky come back outside, and they watch it dematerialize. And then they go back on the TARDIS. Then we get a nice little montage of uh, Ian and Barbara. They... They get back home. It's 1965 rather than 1963. Right. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out how to explain their absence to the directors at Coal Hill School. School. <laughs> um, although, thanks to the 50th anniversary special, we do know that they got their positions back because uh, 
Ian Chesterton is the headmaster. He, his name is under, I, feel, I believe it's headmaster of Coal Hill School uh, in during the 50th anniversary episode. Um, that's a nice little Easter egg they threw in there for us. But uh, we get this nice little montage. It's basically a slideshow of Ian and Barbara revisiting the sights of London, uh, you know, taking pictures and things. They find a real police box and, you know, take some funny pictures <laughs> of them, you know, like, oh, my gosh, we found you or something like that. Um, and uh, I mean, the doctor and Vicky are able to sort of watch them, you know, enjoy this and say their last goodbye to the doctor through the space time visualizer. Um, and I, I like the way that, that they ended this with Ian and Barbara because you get to see them behaving more like real people, more like uh, their natural selves. Whereas when you first saw them go aboard the TARDIS, they were, seemed like they were a little more stiff and a little more you know, reserved. And mm-hmm. as the series has progressed um, into season two and everything, they've become more relaxed characters and more uh, realistic, you know, more like real people. And you start, you begin to start being able to care, care for them as if they were real people in their characters. And you kind of find out in a, in a little bit of a roundabout way that they sort of kind of were like the first Amy and Rory uh, to a certain extent. A little bit, a little bit. Although, their relationship sort of develops from, you know, colleagues who are friends mm-hmm. at work um, at the beginning to something where, you know, the way that they're running around London and laughing together and that sort of thing, right. you get the idea that that this is going to be a lot more for them. And in mm-hmm. later um, material, I believe it's a novel, Yes, we do get the fact that Ian and Barbara did get married um, later on. I would really like to see at least one of them make a cameo appearance in a, in one of the new se- seasons. It'd be really uh, nice. I really like them as companions. You know, like Ian is the new headmaster or something. You know, just something that, that lives, lets you have that little bit of a flashback, you know. I really did like them as companions. So uh, I liked them a lot more towards the end than I did at the very, very beginning. Because, like I said, you got to where you, you were able to get to know the characters as opposed to at the very beginning when they first came on board, it felt more like... Uh, they were almost caricatures yes, rather than characters. Right. And and they, they made that shift rather early on, I think, to being more realistic. Um, I think by the time that you got to uh, the second... Dalek storyline, they had made that full transition over um, to being really likable characters. Uh, not so much in the first Dalek storyline because it was only the second storyline of the entire you know show. Right. So they were still kind of finding their footing there as as characters. But uh, I think shortly after that's when you really saw them come into their own. Yeah. And this is the second-to-last storyline of Season 2. And so, interestingly enough, uh, The Dalek Invasion of Earth is the second storyline of Season 2. So we basically have a full TARDIS crew turnover during 
season two of the show. Mm-hmm. Susan leaves at, towards the beginning of the season, and Ian and Barbara leave at the end of the season. Um, as far as it's kind of weird because you got a Dalek storyline that happens as the second storyline of the first season. And then the second storyline of the second season is a Dalek storyline. And then the second to last is a Dalek storyline uh, for the second season. So it, it's kind of you know, weird when you think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the doctor is able to, you know, witness them for the last time, you know, through the space time visualizer. Uh, Vicky is just happy that they made it back home safely. Um, and the doctor sort of turns away and says, I shall, I shall miss them. Mm-hmm. And it's a very sort of like heavy uh, emotion that you get from him. He's, he's, he's happy that they're safe, but he's very sad that they're gone. And, he's, and he looks at them like family now. Right. The same way as and, Susan. Yeah. And that's, and that's where the episode ends. As far as um, companion farewells, how did you like this one? I liked it um, because even though it had some sad elements to it, it also had some very happy elements to it. You know, uh, even before I knew about the book, uh, I could tell by the way that they were behaving in the, the end part of this, this episode that they were going to end up together. Uh, yeah. You know, they were going to be, be a couple. Um, and yeah. I think that the, the fact that uh, you know that they're going to be okay and you know, they're going to be okay together kind of puts a nice little, you know, period at the end of the sentence there for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, because as far as the first crew of the TARDIS is concerned, they were my favorites. Uh, probably Barbara was my favorite out of the three of them that traveled with the Doctor initially. Um, but well, From the beginning, she had the most personality. True. But yeah, no, I really did enjoy it because... Like, like you said, it, it was sad. The doctor really didn't want them to leave. He was very deeply hurt by their departure, which one of the best scenes that, you know, in our reviews here that I've seen William Hartnell do. It was, it was a very well done scene, just their entire departure and the discussion leading up to it, uh, in my opinion. Well, if you go back and watch the docudrama that came out recently, um, talking about him and how he played the first doctor you actually find out that in a lot of those scenes, he wasn't really acting because he didn't like to lose people on the show. He didn't like to see people leave. Uh, he, he took it very personally. Uh, and I think that what you actually saw on the screen at that point was him really, truly being sad because he was going to have friends leaving the show that he didn't want to go. Oh, probably it's, yeah. It was very well done, um, in my opinion. Um, did you have a favorite moment from this storyline? My favorite moment? Ah, now you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, I would say, honestly, I would probably say when Ian is jamming out to the Beatles is probably my favorite. Because, you know, for me, that was like him finally letting his hair down completely and just being in a moment of joy, you know, and you didn't get to see that a lot from that character. He, he was no. always, you know, he, he felt like he had to, to stay on point and, and be the guy that, 
was there for everybody and just to be able to see him just let it go and just let this weight lift off of him and he's just dancing there you know while they're you know the Beatles are singing I I just thought that was really cool yeah yeah no that that was a great moment for Ian because you're right he's very he's very stoic he's very well put together you know he's even when he's jovial he's still sort of stoic you know? He's a bit reserved. That that's just his character. He's very reserved. He's very buttoned up, literally and emotionally. Um, but yeah, no, it it was really cool to see him just go. This is great. I haven't heard the Beatles in you know for so <laughs> long, and it's they're my favorite band. Um, of course, the Doctor, of course, says you know ah my favorite Beatles. Um, and it reminds you that Ian and Barbara are not nearly as old as people might think they are in the show. Right, right. They're in their early thirties, late late twenties, early thirties, um, at the time. So, um, but yeah, uh, now I've got to come up with my favorite. <laughs> I think I think the duel of the doctors might be my favorite moment. Um, it was it was too brief, um, but after they're able to, you know, the companions are able to figure out which doctor they should be, you know, siding with. And the doctor finally gets to confront his doppelganger, basically. It was just really kind of neat to see uh, the first doctor be able to stand up and take down this foe uh, on his own uh, in a way that later iterations of the doctor are able to do on a normal basis. So mm-hmm. uh, it was just really, really neat to see. And uh, I like the, the way that... the. Um, the first Doctor finally got a little bit of the action, you know. Yes. Yes. Now, uh, if you were to give the chase a rating out of ten Daleks, how many Daleks would you give it? I would give this one an eight. An eight? I would give this one an eight. And the only reason that I would give it an eight as opposed to a ten is because of, like I said, the, the, the... uh, challenges and stuff that they had with the the special effects and things like that. The production quality uh, for me was just a little lower than what I expected it to be because for me the show has always had a, a really high caliber uh, of quality in what it attempts to do. Whether it had whether it has the ability to pull it off one hundred percent or not is not really the issue. It is the attention to detail and the fact that they're doing what they possibly can with what they have to do it with. And this to me just seemed like they dropped the ball in a couple of places when it came to attention to detail because of, like I said, the shadows on the backgrounds and things like that, things that could have been prevented that really didn't cost anything extra Mm. that they just didn't, they just didn't catch. But other than that, you know, I, I would give it, I would give it an eight, you know, just because of that. This is probably my favorite of the three Dalek episodes that we've talked about so far. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and while there are definitely some corny moments... Um, That's one of the things I like about it, though. It's, it's more of a... I'm going to laugh at this because it's really rather funny. Corny than, like, groaning. Like, then like right. oh, I can't believe right. they did that. Sort of corny. Um, well, for me, it was, I can't believe they did that in a good way. Right. You know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I think I'd also probably, I think 
seven and a half or eight Daleks. I can't quite figure out which one I want to do. Um, because I, you know, I don't want to give everything a ten because, you know, not everything well, earns a ten. For, but, as far as storyline goes, I, I give the storyline a ten. I give the execution an eight. So Yeah. It was, uh, it was really good. It was funny. They had a lot more humor written in than what we'd previously seen and uh, more action for the Doctor and for, in general, I think. Which you know, is actually exp- kind of proving me wrong because my immediate assumption in the past was that we didn't have that much humor come up until the second Doctor. But uh, it's proving me wrong. The humor was, was there before the second Doctor ever came into place. Uh, you just have to, to know where to look for it. Yeah. It's it's more wry. Uh, it's, it's, it's dry British humor at times. But but there's definitely some, some really funny moments like, you know, my singing? How dare you call my singing? No, 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 <laughs> not that awful sound. The other one. You know. <laughs> I could charm the birds from the trees. Yes. <laughs> and the guy talking into the Dalek's gun was just, oh, that, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that the Dalek is saying, you cannot defeat the Daleks. We are invincible. And Frankenstein just like de- tears it apart. Um, <laughs> um, oh well. <laughs> but yeah, there was there was definitely some funny moments in in this story. So, all right. Um, I do think it would be behoove us to mention the fact that Stephen behoove us. Yes, behoove us. Um, <laughs> I like words. Um, and that's one I can actually say tonight, apparently. Um, <laughs> it, it would behoove us to say that Steven Tyler does make it on board the TARDIS. He sneaks aboard the TARDIS before it departs Mechanus um, and becomes the next companion. He and Vicky travel with a doctor together. So, um, And actually, the next storyline is called The Time Meddler. Right. And it is one of the best from the first Doctor. So if you guys haven't seen The Time Meddler, I highly recommend it. I really like the interaction at the beginning of The Time Meddler, too, uh, when the Doctor discovers that Stephen has stowed away on the TARDIS. I, I like their interaction there at the beginning uh, because there's some really uh, funny stuff that happens in that in that first interaction. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Especially when the Doctor's trying to prove that the TARDIS is a time machine. <laughs> see there my boy there's a viking helmet how do you like that uh, poss- well, possibly possibly what do you mean possibly what do you think it is a space helmet for a cow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines from the first doctor ever um oh my goodness but yes i highly recommend the time meddler is probably of the first doctor episodes i've seen it's the best, in my opinion. So, um, I highly recommend that one for anybody who hasn't seen it. We will not be reviewing it for a while, just due to what we uh, what we've already set out as because a, there are no Daleks uh, in it. Exactly, there are no Daleks in the Time <laughs> Meddler. Uh, having two back to back storylines with the Daleks in it would be a little much, I think. Uh, I've had enough screaming for now. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, any other final thoughts on the chase before we wrap up this episode? Uh, I honestly I can't think of anything at this point, but there'll probably be about fifteen things that I'll think about once we quit 
<laughs> you know, talking about it. <laughs> oh, one last thing I did want to mention. Uh, Peter Purves, who is the actor who plays Stephen Taylor, was also uh, the actor that played the Alabama Hick on top of the Empire State Building. I just thought that was funny. Well, they they um, pulled it off in such a way that it wasn't obvious, though. Yeah, unless you unless you knew who it was. Uh, you probably wouldn't have noticed it. You probably would have. You may have gone, "Oh, well, they look kind of similar," but you wouldn't have noticed it. Um, <laughs> this guy was like Gomer Pyle in a cowboy a cowboy hat. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to follow us uh, and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lords. You can always email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. And of course, uh, you can find us on YouTube by searching Talking Time Lords, uh, where we have all of our episodes posted as videos. Well, not all of them yet. Um, I think we've still got the first three posted, um, but we will be working on getting the rest of them posted as well. Um, they'll probably still be delayed. Obviously, the podcast is the best place to keep up to date with our episodes um but they will all eventually end up on youtube and of course you can find us at talkingtimelords.com so anything else all right well i think that wraps up this episode of the talking time lords podcast this has been episode number seven the chase story review for Paul, I'm Jason, and until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams, hmm? Thanks, <laughs> got it. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.